Yes. So it's Palm Sunday. It's a big day in the life of the church. It's a big day in the story of Jesus. Uh, and so I'm going to try to put it into some context. So uh, I have a map of Israel back in the day. So you want to, can you put that up for me, Saul? So you see Galilee, Samaria, Judea. These are like words you'll read in Scripture. Jesus will be in one of these places sort of teaching meeting people, healing, roaming around, right? But all of this area was under Roman occupation. So you have to see it like the Roman Empire is who is in charge. They are the ones collecting taxes for Caesar. They are the ones deciding what the laws are. But they were rather open-minded to various religious groups. You can do what you want. You can practice your religion so long as you pay your taxes and you're faithful to Caesar, right? So the Israel... The Israelites have their religious leaders, have the Pharisees, have those that they look to, and they are given some power by the Roman Empire. Power to lead, power to go to the temple, to have their religious services. Now this isn't always true. There are times when a Roman emperor will come and persecute and will be harsh. But it seems clear at this point that while Rome is an occupying force and Israel doesn't like Rome and Israel doesn't like being occupied, at least Rome is allowing uh, for them to practice religious freedom. So there's a difference between the Roman authorities, like Pontius Pilate, and the religious leaders, which are Israelites. There's a difference there, right? So for many, the Messiah would come and deliver Israel from Roman occupation, would set Israel free, right? Would establish Israel as its own independent nation again, like in the high times of David, would deliver the temple from Roman occupation. So this is part of the context for what's happening here. But Jesus has spent most of his time, so you can see Galilee in the top, up, upper north, right? And you got the Sea of Galilee, and you got Capernaum and Nazareth, where Jesus comes from. And much of his time is there. And it's a lot of like fishermen in the Sea of Galilee, and poor folk, and farmers who are attracted to this message because Jesus often has not such great things to say for the powerful and a lot of pretty amazing things to say for those who are marginalized, right? And that's who he's healing. That's who he's speaking to. That's who his metaphors are for. It's about fish. It's about seeds. It's about growing crops. So he's been hanging out, but... Passover is coming, and so Passover is the high holy day of Israel. Passover is the celebration of when Israel was delivered from Egypt in the past. And so the tradition is we're going we're gonna to all flood into Jerusalem, which is way down in Judea. You can see Jerusalem down south. So Jesus is going to make the trek south to Jerusalem, and we're going to celebrate Passover. We're going to go to the temple. We're going to, we're going to celebrate our traditions. And so this is where Palm Sunday takes place. Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem for Passover. But the followers of Jesus recognize what's going on here. For them, this is like UFC. This is prize fight time. This is Jesus going into Jerusalem, the big city, not just hanging around the Sea of Galilee anymore, but going to the big city to confront Rome. The Messiah is going to do this. And we know that the crowd thinks this is the Messiah because they're shouting Hosanna in the highest. Right? God save us. This is a messianic call. God save us. Hosanna. This is in part when Liz read how the children were chanting Hosanna and the Pharisees get upset. 
They say, Jesus, are you going to let them do this? They're calling you the Messiah. Are you willing to claim that? Because this is in some ways heresy, right? It's like, yep, that's me, son of God, right? So Jesus comes in this triumphal entry and the crowds come out and they lay palm branches down and they're chanting Hosanna and in their mind, this is it. Yes, Mike Tyson's going to knock out Rome or whatever, right? That's the vision. That's the hope. And confrontation happens immediately. The first thing Jesus does, rides the donkey in and goes straight to the temple and goes straight to the temple and makes a whip and like whips everybody out and is like, get out of here. How dare you turn the temple into a den of thieves, right? So it starts pretty well. And then he starts calling people out like there's two sons and uh, one of them's like, I don't think I'm going to do that. But then they did it. And the other son was like, I'll do it, but then they didn't do it. And they're like, which would you prefer? Which is the faithful son? It's like the one that said they weren't going to do it, but they actually did it, right? It's their actions that mattered, not the words. And Jesus is like, exactly. Prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom ahead of you. That's harsh. Can you, I mean, I don't know, I, I can't even think of what a parallel would be to look at someone who thinks they're being faithful to God and being like, by the way, the people you think are the lowest on the totem pole, the worst those people actually are faithful. They recognize me for who I am. They recognize God, but not you. Prostitutes and tax collectors. So there's immediate confrontation. And I want to talk about this for just a minute. I want to talk about confrontation because we're terrible at it societally, right? So we know the recent term, ghosting. That's a, that's a thing now. Oh, that's great. Like, maybe if I ignore it, the problem will go away. Maybe if I just stop responding. Oh, you know what I'll do? I'll just like unfriend someone privately or like I'll block someone. I'll never have to look at their posts again. Like we find all kinds of ways of not, never having confrontation, right? So we avoid what is inevitable, which is if we are going to speak truth to power, if we're going to stand up for justice like Miriam, if we're going to engage the world to help those who need it most, confrontation's inevitable. And I want you to think about this in your life. Because for all of us, we have relationships, and we have coworkers, and we have bosses, and we have family members. We have people, we have friends. We know there are people for whom we need to have hard conversations with. We just have to have them. We have to figure out how to be honest, how to be loving, and how to be confrontational. And confrontational, look, just so you know, I'm going to make this real clear. You're not Jesus. Don't make a whip. Don't whip anybody out. That's not what I'm suggesting. I don't have that kind of certainty. What I am suggesting, though, is that we, we don't just honor what Jesus does. We say this is, this is the person who leads us in what we are to do. To be a disciple is to follow in the steps. When I say confrontation, someone comes to your mind, I guarantee it. Someone who you need to engage. Someone who you need to have the guts to say, we need to talk. And I want to make a distinction here between accountability and judgment. I want to talk about confrontation in ways that I think are healthy rather than not. Judgment is when I don't know you and I don't know your story and I don't have a relationship with you and I make assumptions about you anyway. That's judgment. I don't know you. I heard something once. You said something once in the, in the coffee room and now all of a sudden I know your whole story, right? That's judgment. 
But accountability is when I do know you and I do have a relationship with you and I do care about you and something needs to change. Now, love means I have to go to you and say, can we talk? Something has to happen. That confrontation is necessary and we're terrible at doing it. And so we take things and take things and take things and then we leave. And then we, or then we break. Or then we explode. Following in the footsteps of Jesus in part means confrontation. It just does. We just have to figure out how to do it like mature adults, not like petulant children. So I'm going to challenge you. I still remember I was in early high school. I was like 14 or 15. And my friend James Halfacre at the time called me. And I just figured like he wanted to play basketball or this or that was going to happen. So we were talking, kind of shooting the breeze. And then all of a sudden he's like, Joe, I need to talk to you. It's like one of those things where you're like, okay, (laughs) all right, I guess. And he was like, "Uh, man, your language, like I'm concerned. And this is someone I knew, someone I knew cared about me. And it's, it's true, man. I was like swearing like a sailor, right? Like my newfound swearing freedom. And I decided I was just going to let it fly when my parents weren't around. And he had the courage to say, like, this doesn't seem like you. This doesn't feel like the person you want to be. And I remember being really defensive. Like, let's just be clear here. I was not like, thank you, James. I really appreciate that confrontation. It wasn't like that. In fact, I probably used my newfound freedom swearing to like, I had some choice words for James on the phone probably. Got some more practice in. (laughs) I, I don't know. But then later, I really thought a lot about it, like, How much courage does that take for him to care about me enough to say, I'm worried, why are you acting like this? Can you help me understand? And he did it so well, and it was clear that he loved me, and yet, and so I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Like, he's right. Like, why am I doing this? Like, like I'm being rebellious for the sake of being rebellious. How weird. And I was so grateful to him for doing that at a young age, like checking me in a way that didn't make me feel like I was horrible, but made me realize what was happening in my life. So let me just, let me challenge you. I'll say one other thing, my last point. When Jesus enters Rome, or excuse me, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, all of the Jewish people thought he was going to confront Rome, the real evil, the occupying force. Rome is the evil empire. That's who Jesus needed to go to. The Messiah was going to overthrow Rome. So this is the expectation. And instead, Jesus goes to the temple and confronts Israelites, insiders. He confronts the religious leaders. He doesn't confront Pontius Pilate. He doesn't confront Roman soldiers. And I'm going to be honest, this should challenge every one of us because in my mind, if Jesus marched into Boise, I know exactly who he'd go after. Those kinds of people and those kinds of people and those kinds of Christians that don't agree with me and those kinds of judgmental folks and those people that have different political views than me. Oh, I know who Jesus would confront. I'm very certain of it. And just when I have that certainty, I I read Palm Sunday and it's like, nope. Jesus would have something to say to me and to Collister. And it's things I don't want to hear, but I need to hear. So before I jump to the list of people I'm just quite certain Jesus would confront, I need to look in the mirror and say, what is Jesus saying to me? What is Jesus saying to you? How are you being confronted? How are you being challenged? 
How are you being confronted in a way that says, Joe, I love you, and you can be better, and you can be different. Joe, I care about you, but you don't know me all the way. Are you willing to be challenged? Are you willing for your theological views to change? Right? Are you willing to love the person that in your mind is probably the most difficult? Because Jesus has a challenge for us. As much as I have people in my life I need to talk with, that I need to have a confrontation with in a loving way, I have to allow myself to be confronted by others, in particular Christ. They thought he was going to go to Rome, and instead he went to the, the, the people who knew it, the religious insiders, which means that Jesus would have a lot to say to us. So what is Jesus saying to you? How are you being challenged? In what ways is Jesus prodding you to grow, to be more, to be new? And will you allow that? That's my challenge this Palm Sunday. The expectations we hold, Jesus almost always like, confronts them, changes them, defies them. This is why he got crucified. The crowd that was like, Hosanna, was the same crowd that was chanting crucify. Why? Because Jesus showed up, didn't confront Rome, said that prostitutes were entering the kingdom before them, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Never mind. Maybe we got this wrong. I want to be someone who allows Jesus to defy my expectation. To be more, to be different than what I think, than the box I've trapped him in. And that means being open to growth. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your courage. We're grateful for your willingness to confront and confront for our own sake, confront for the sake of love, confront for our own growth. My prayer, Lord, is that you would soften our hearts, that we might hear the ways you are prodding us to grow and to change and to be new, the ways you're prodding us to say, you don't fit into the box we made for you. You don't fit into the categories we've created, but that you transcend them. You're more than that we can never be stuck on our laurels, that we can never be stagnant, but that you call us to grow and to change. Thank you for loving us enough to have hard conversations. Thank you for loving us enough to confront. Amen.